son, where'd you mint this? producer of pattern recognition on uh this week's episode we speak with maria paula a retired founder at eth berlin as well as the co-founder of jpeg which recently made an announcement that it intends to pause its product development uh, but it's still very much around as a tool and as a community we've put a link to their site uh in this episode description and really suggest that you go check it out uh, Maria Paul is a legendary thinker, organizer, and founder in the space. Um, and JPEG is a really incredible community with some some great folks involved doing the work of building consensus and elevating the discourse around what NFTs are and what they could be. So it was a joy to speak with her. Uh, we spoke in late April for context, so we didn't get an opportunity to mention some of the recent stuff going on with JPEG. So please check uh, JPEG out and uh, enjoy the episode. All right. Well, today we are being joined by Maria Paula Fernandez and uh, from JPEG. Uh, and how are you? Where are you coming to us from? Hello, Chuck. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm currently and I live in Berlin. Um, so it's almost sunset for me, which is why you can see my beautiful light. Of course, the people in the mm -hmm. podcast are not going to be able nice. to see it, but it, it, it is pretty nice. Uh, so I'm here. It's spring. It's stunning. Um, I, and I just came back from uh, enjoying New York as well, which was a you know proper summer. So yeah, that's where I am. Were you, were you in New York for NFT NYC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, because my co-founder Trent, he he lives in Brooklyn. I try to be in New York as much as possible. Uh, and honestly, I'm super passionate about the city. My partner's also an artist and he has gallery representation in the city. So any excuse is actually good for us to take a plane and just, uh, yeah. you know, spend some time there. Very nice. Cool. How, how do you, I've actually not been to one. Uh, how, how do you like NFT conferences? I know the, the general consensus is, I think most people just like, the hanging out more than the actual conference itself and, and, and specific panels and things like that. But I don't know, it's different for everybody. Some people love going to those and sitting and just listening to everything and attending as much as they can. But do you, do you find them, uh, helpful, enjoyable? Are there, is NFT NYC different than, than, uh, the other ones that you've been to? NFT NYC is actually torture. I have no idea how anyone would, <laughs> <laughs> would actually enjoy that conference um i spoke on the on the on the on the previous two years uh, to an empty room like a crazy person um oh. uh, so oh. that was a little bit frustrating and uh, yeah I, you know honestly there not all the conferences are are like nft nyc um i've been doing crypto conferences since 2017 and i've had the time of my life i've also organized crypto conferences uh, before uh, doing jpeg i uh, i had the department of decentralization uh for several yep. years and there i started east berlin which is a, a legendary conference if uh, if i may say and 
it's been, you know, like all the talks were super interested. I would like just suffer if I didn't make it to a talk because I had mm. to, you know, do organizer stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, and yeah, DevCon is also fascinating. Um, I, I do enjoy conferences more than satellite events in general. Uh, but with NFT NYC, it's different. It's the satellite events that make going to New York actually makes sense in the context of that conference. And I think it's an interesting phenomenon that a conference has exceeded in making itself so bad um, <laughs> that a whole ecosystem has been born around it. And it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic one as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, you know, having so many speakers and I remember the first year when it was being promoted uh, and I was like, there's just there are hundreds, if not thousands of speakers, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. It just sort of seems like if you're even remotely involved in NFTs, you can be a speaker, which I mean, I guess, I mean, it's good to be inclusive and have a lot of people, but it also sort of thins it out and makes nothing feel particularly special. Um, I've been in, I've spoken at quite a few design conferences, you know, over the last 20 years, one in particular that I've always loved is off in Barcelona. It's a really wonderful conference. I've spoken at it twice and and they do a really good job, but everything is sort of in one, you know, under one roof and they have like, you know, keynote speakers and then there's sort of breakout, you know, workshops and things like that. And it makes it more of a, a memorable singular event as opposed to sort of this amorphous takeover of a city where there just happens to be things happening scattered around. So I can see how that would be pretty frustrating to prepare and plan and then show up and there's like seven people in a room, you know, it's like if everyone's there to see just Gary V or whatever, like, what are the point of all these <laughs> other, you know, having all these other people and all these other talks, if it's going to be so, uh, watered down. Yeah. Yeah. Not to shame everyone, you know, but, uh, and uh, I do think that it's remarkable for them to have a, initiated uh, this kind of like completely grassroots uh, agglomeration of like incredibly interesting events in happening in New York, which is a very expensive city as well to do events in. So it's a really big effort. So that's, you know, that's quite remarkable. And it can only be achieved when you invite a thousand people to speak on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, like in 2021, which was the year where I said, okay, I'm not doing it anymore. And then, of course, the next year I actually did it. Uh, uh, you know, I was talking with the, with the, with the exhibitors, with the, with the sponsors. And one of them was like, yeah, we have a Web3. And I'm like, you have a Web3. Um, <laughs> okay, can you show me your Web3? Um, because, you know, I can't, I, and maybe later we, we talk about this, but, you know, my background is actually in, in blockchain infrastructure. That's where I was working until, uh, until I started JPEG. Sure. Um, and I was, uh, and I started working in Web3 Foundation as employee number three. So for me, Web3 means, it means something really important. Um, yeah. I, and we're also going to discuss maybe why, why, why I'm even here. Um, so, you know, this guy telling me, yeah, we have a web three and then showing me like a, like a, like a VR sort of world was mm -hmm. especially, I, I don't think it upsetting is the right word, but it was just like, oh my God, like I, <laughs> I can't believe, like I can't believe we hit ma mainstream in the worst kind of possible way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, uh, so it was, a, yeah, it was sort of a shock. Um, but I have to say most of my, you know, most of my, most fruitful sort of relationships in the past 
years in NFTs um, have started in New York. And the fact that also in New York, I got proximity, for example, to institutions like Rhizome, which has been a really big goal for me, um, is sort of really worthwhile spending time at, at that conference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the to come into a conference with expectations that people who are running it understand it in a certain way. And then to sort of, like you said, show you, I don't know, whatever metaverse world they were trying to show. And so I think, it, I mean, it kind of speaks to the fragmentation of, of all this stuff and how differently everyone experiences it and how differently everybody's take on it is um, or where the priorities are. You know, I think there is a lot of people who I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm curious what you think about this. I feel like it's a bit regrettable that the idea of the metaverse and the idea of a sort of 3D immersive world that you have to put a headset on for got conflated with NFTs and that even like the idea of like PFP projects got conflated with NFTs as uh, with uh, within art. I tweeted a couple months ago and I've always sort of thought this from the sort of first month I got involved with NFTs that it feels as if there's been like a comic book show and a flea market and like a baseball card show and uh, like a, a antique store set up in the Guggenheim and and everyone came for something different and they're wandering around and they got a little too curious and started looking at all the other stuff and <laughs> and we're all participating in this large market but people are there for different reasons some people are there for you know the the sort of idea of uh, like a metaverse, a very literal 3D metaverse. Some people are there purely for curation and art. Some people are there for collecting things. Some people are there for financial speculation and a stock market, but everyone's sort of participating under the same umbrella and fragmentation and, and sort of breaking off of these things almost has to happen um, for it to become digestible and uh, it start to sort of have some kind of framework around you know what this all is, um, and and break down a little bit. I guess uh, I don't know how you feel about that um, and all these things. And I had a question about this uh, for the future uh, about JPEG. But if you if you're ever concerned about like poor taste and PFP type projects that are generally not very good being curated sort of within your ecosystem. But yeah, I'm guess I'm curious to ask how you feel about like <laughs> all these things sort of mixing together. Um, you know, and, and totally. the of that. Um, you're sort of preaching to the choir because, yeah, and, uh, and at the same time, not because, you know, a part of me, um, uh, is, uh, you know, very just like, you know, very protective of NFTs as art. And I first became enamored with NFTs by exploring the use of a uh, blockchain as a medium. So mm -hmm. I, I came from, you know, like, a deep, you know, love uh, towards like the intersection between technology and art. And then I I, I gravitated to NFTs, uh, but I've always been, you know, of the thought that, you know, these are artworks that we're dealing with. And I've, I've never owned a PFP and I never quite understood them. Um, uh, but at the same time, there's like a quite a Machiavellian side uh, to mm. me that says, hey, whatever gets us there, gets sure. us there, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I do know is that, you know, when we when we were very early talking about Web3 and the promise of decentralized infrastructure and a better internet was that we were having huge uh, 
problems in communicating this and why this was important. And we never thought that we would have reached, uh, that we would reach mass adoption. Uh, we thought that mass adoption could, uh, would come from awareness that we needed better tools and platforms. Um, we would never have su suspected that a uh, mass adoption uh, would come, uh, you know, hand in hand with some doodles or some apes uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, great, huge marketing efforts from main, main brands as well. Um, but what, you know, like I say, whatever gets us there um yeah that said um i you know we're currently at a market stage uh, where we are actually paying for uh, the we're you know we're experiencing some serious ripple effects uh, from what happened in 2021 mm -hmm. um it was it's it's interesting i was I, I was just discussing this i was trying to explain a little bit what happened with the you know, with the messaging around uh, the NFT hype around Wagmi, uh, and now that and now the Wagmi that has, uh, you know, sort of like uh, sort of like transformed into you must build through the bear, and it's just synonyms for please, is there some uh, money left in your account? Can you please con continue to contribute mm, to my Ponzi? Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, that extreme, uh, th that extreme hyper acceleration, hyper growth really got us there in the, you know, in the media, in the mouths of, uh, you know, older people, younger people, it didn't matter. It got us adoption in Nigeria, which I think is incredibly important. It got us much more adoption in Latin America, where I'm from, which is obviously, you know, a sort of matter of life and death that people, you know, adopt a virtual currency. And I, I think that all of that was uh, absolutely fantastic, but it also created this kind of like hype around the Ponzi-nomics and mm -hmm. a, a you know, a complete fetish, fetishization of, uh, you know, these really big, successful TVL engrossing brands uh, yeah. that were completely unsustainable. Um, and we all knew that. Um, and we still participated of this Wagmi sort of type speech. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, right now, you know, when we're saying, okay, but look at our good infrastructure, um, you know, I, at our good curation, uh, we're we're also talking about you know needing more curation, needing better uh, better systems, needing more due diligence. Uh, all the while, you know, we were perpetuating uh, this kind of like speech because the opportunity cost of not doing so was so high um, yeah. at the time that there was no other way, and being a <laughs> critic uh, really didn't help you at that time. Um, so. I think there's a bunch of uh, lessons to be learned there. Um, I hope we are learning those lessons. I know that the JPEG community um, came from a different place. Um, it came from a place that, um, you know, they are more the hobbyists. They are more mm. the appreciators. And uh, they are more these kind of people that you would see, um, you know, like putting a lot of love or into, you know, like a like a cultural hobby or going to museums or uh, even, you know, editing the Wikipedia um, just for a, for their own soul. And sure. uh, so our community feels really good in that sense. And I'm not worried about them, you know, doing the wrong curation or right curation mm. because they're they feel like like the right people, you know. Sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, this is all stuff that I, I have. I have this kind of a list of, of notes and, and things I wanted to ask about and hope to arrive at this uh, topic eventually. But I think it's hard to ignore right now the climate that we're in. And for you as someone who's running, you know, a, a, a protocol and a platform um, that this is something I've, I've asked a lot of people lately who, whether you're an artist or you're sort of in charge of, uh, you know, a, a marketplace or, or whatever, um, how do you feel about, you know, or, or what, what is it? feel like to sort of work, uh, you know, within day to day with it for NFTs when, when it's so hot one day and so cold the next or very cold for a long stretch. Uh, I can, I can imagine that regard, like no matter how optimistic you might feel on a macro level and, and just generally that there must be days where it just feels like, you know, whether you're looking at charts, you're seeing the price of ETH, you're seeing wallets down, you're seeing the amount of active new users drop, you're seeing whatever the case may be uh sort of discouraging uh and 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 uh you know and frustrating and I, I guess it would take um either someone who just believes in it long term and the fact that there's just going to be ebbs and flows and you'll always just come back and and you know ride the waves regardless um or if you've experienced feelings of like we might need to pivot and change our game plan completely because this feels unsustainable or really frustrating because it's so you know all over the place and it just sort of stretches and goes this way and then goes that way one day to the next. So how do you navigate that? You know, and, and how do you, how do you stay engaged or what do you do to, or do you feel, you know, days where you wake up and feel discouraged uh, about it all? Um, I was born ready. First of all, I, <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> telling you that <laughs> not because I'm bragging, but just because I'm Argentinian. Uh, mm. You know, that's where I was born and raised and lived for 26 years. Um, mm -hmm. this, you know, this kind of like instability, like instability has been the, the reality of my life and the reality of my family's life since, uh, you know, for ab about a hundred years. And now uh -huh. it's really bad there. I, today I was checking inflation and we have a glowing 106%. So also wow. when U.S. people talk about hyperinflation and that's, that's still not, not hyperinflation, by the way in mm -hmm. economic terms. So when US people talk or start like fear mongering about hyperinflation, I'm like, you, you actually you have don't no idea. Sure, yeah, sure, you yeah. don't understand what it's like mm. to live like that. Um, you know, I, you know, I stay quite chill about everything. I've also seen bear markets and, uh, you know, and devastating black swan events in, in crypto, you know, that mm -hmm. are, that were specific to my career. I also, you know, like lost a few consulting jobs on a, I think it was on Black Tuesday on a, in 20, in the start of the pandemic and the start of 2020, uh, where, a, yeah, a, a drop in the price of ETH destabilized everything, market maker DAO almost uh, broke down, you know, and that was a huge learning for the community. And actually systems became much more resilient after that. Um, so that's, that's actually what you do, you know, like people destroy uh, people destroy things all the time and you rebuild yourself all the time as well. Um, you adjust, you become better, you become sharper, um, you become more resilient, you become more in, uh, 
innovative, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. the things that Argentinians um, do. And I haven't been living in Argentina for 10 years now, um, but I do have my family there. And the, the degree of uh, inventiveness and the degree of, you know, like sort of like flexibility to weather down storms, a, a bigger or smaller, but there's always one, um, is something innate to human, uh, you know, to humans that I think it's just amazing. Mm. Um, so I, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, when that is happening, you know, with the entire countries and sometimes with the entire world, with destabilizing events like COVID or the Ukraine war uh, that started last year and is still continuing, then you realize that, you know, like a, a little bit of an ebb and flow in the market is actually not a big deal. Yeah. Um, if you have conviction about what you're building, um, uh, then it's completely fine. And pivots are actually, you know, not, you know, they're not very um, disruptive. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's not that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to become a surgeon if I pivot, I'm, I'm going to stay in crypto. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I don't stay in NFTs, but for me, the conviction that crypto and a better internet are the are a matter of life and death uh, is always very strong um like i said you know like in a country with like the monetary policy of a clown then uh, you know i i think that uh, you know by, like knowing that there's viable alternatives out there and that, that you mm, can uh, yeah. that you can take a part in building them is just you know like i it's where where i find solace um, and it's also where I built my career as well. You know, uh, after after so many years in crypto, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. Uh, just variations of these. Hmm. That's a very amazing answer and kind of une unexpected <laughs> in a way. I think it's important to. I think your perspective is is very enlightening for for me, and I think uh, I, I hope anyone listening. I think. I mean, it's it's a very contextualized response that takes into account factors that I guess I wasn't anticipating you to answer that sort of, uh, you know, like when you said you were born ready, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear like you expand on this and, and to kind of put into context what that means for you and, and for coming from a place that's not stable, whether that, you know, country and economics, the um, you know, politics, whatever, and then, and obviously putting it into perspective with the war in Ukraine. And just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it really does sort of, it really does help to paint a, a picture of what, uh, I, I don't want to say this in a dismissive way, but like what really matters. And that's not to say that crypto and markets and NFT, you know, and everything doesn't matter, but it does sort of, your perspective is, hey, things are going to be good. Things are going to be bad. We're going to work through it. And if we have to change something up or what, like we'll change it up, but it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And I think, um, I think that's really good. I think that's a really good bit of advice for, for anybody. I think what, what would you say to maybe an artist who I think about this a lot, you know, I've, I, you and I don't know each other, but you know, I've been, I've been running my studio practice for almost 20 years. I've been doing mostly commercial and client type work, uh, for a long time. I don't, I didn't see NFTs as an escape from that because I really enjoy the the work that I do. I saw it as as almost a additive and and like a new way to you know uh, sort of refine my own creative practice. Uh, and so for me, if it all went away tomorrow and just imploded, I'd be like, oh, that was that was fun while it lasted. I'll go back to doing what I've done for pretty much the eighteen years before 
NFTs entered my life. But that's not the case for a lot of artists who have come into prominence almost exclusively as a result of NFTs and who have built a living on them for the last two years and maybe experienced a really intense amount of success. I mean, I've seen this personally with several artists who, not unlike in a trad art market, they're sort of a quick rising star only to basically never be heard from again, like the early Nifty Gateway days, you know, or um, just a lot of that hype of of that sort of early 2021. It felt like you could mint anything and, and it would find a buyer and it was just everything would sell. Every artist was just like, I've got a new one of one here, go buy it. And everyone was buying everything. Um, I've seen a lot of artists sort of post that time or recently really struggle and really, you know, artists who are selling work for tens of thousands of dollars who had never sold anything in their life before that, or maybe were fresh out of school or maybe even still in school, suddenly selling work for a, a sort of what I think is a bit of a uh, unfortunately sort of inflated perceived value of their work while ETH was high, suddenly struggled to sell 20 open editions for 0.05 ETH or something like that. And so they're suddenly left figuring out what, like, what do I, what do I do here? And I think that's a good thing. I think the reality check is, is a good thing. But how would you extend your optimistic outlook that you kind of explained in your perspective to someone who maybe experienced it in a different way and hasn't been around it as long or seen those ebbs and flows and has only experienced like an extreme high and then essentially a, a plummet into where did everybody go? Where are all these people I thought were my collectors who won't respond to my DMs or buy my stuff? <laughs> like, you know, what would you say to lots of the artists out there around the world who are sort of grappling with whether or not this is a, a viable long-term reality for them to participate in? Oh man, where do I start with this? Um, the first thing is about embracing markets. Um, <laughs> um, you know, we are all bound to markets. Uh, you know, if we live in a capitalist society, even if we live in a communist society, whether we like it or not, uh, mm -hmm. markets are underneath us. And I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm a Hayekian sort of person but just like i'm a realist and uh, yeah. you know i'm i'm very exposed to markets as a company owner um also as a person that participates in staking as a cryptocurrency holder uh, but i'm also exposed to markets as you know a person that exists in the world and go goes to groceries to a uh, shop yeah. right um and being able to understand that your artistic production is tied to a market, even if that market is still not activated for your particular production, I think mm -hmm. it's really, really important. Um, I really think that art schools should teach how the uh, how the art market uh, works because sure. there's so yeah. many different codes. Uh, and you know, I've been studying uh, you know the the art market because I find it like completely fascinating the different codes, the different ways to talk about things, the different uh, construction of uh, up and coming artists as well um how a market you know is affected with regards to you know when an artist for example dies uh, mm. or uh, you know when a secondary cell goes uh, sideways um i think it's fantastic and uh, the fact that uh, art schools and uh, you know and the whole uh, discourse around art being that you know art should be this pure thing that should be completely separate from money because uh, it's you know a magical poetic thing it's it's a lie it's yeah, a lie absolutely no yeah. so yeah. 
I think that's incredible, like that particular discourse and the discourse we need to protect artists from, uh, from the market. We need to help them. We need to steward them. We need to let them focus on their work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what, what are you talking about? They, they also have to pay rent. Um, yeah, you know, they, absolutely. and it's yeah. fascinating when you can be in control of your market in a way or the other as well. Uh, or when you can feel in control more than being in control, because if these artists that have trouble managing that they had, you know, sort of like a jump to fame and a 10 ETH sale during the bull market are now struggling with the realization that probably they they bought into this Wagme narrative that I mentioned mm -hmm. too hard. Uh, uh, would be a little bit, little, a little bit of a, of a less blow because you know they would understand that everything ebbs and flows here. Um, I, you know, I always tell when when people ask me about uh, coping with markets, uh, I I always tell them, you know, like <laughs> in a little bit like a meditation practice. You you have to, you know, when you're thinking about the market, it's not that you're obsessed with the market, right? Um, you know, I'm I'm not thinking all the time. I, I don't even look at the at the crypto market. I just you know acknowledge it's there and just yeah. let it flow through my mind, you know, mm -hmm. and it's it's just something that's lingering. Yeah. Um, Becoming sharp with regards to your finances, it's not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think that, and of, and learning, learning hurts, man, um, as well. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, people should take this as a learning process. Um, when people, uh, when people were saying, uh, you know, if it's too good, it's probably not real. Well, yeah, that's that's the truth. You know, we, uh, you know, people that have been uh, like creating a career for the past 20 years know that it's step by step. You, you know, you do have, you know, these moments of like astronomic growth, maybe if you get lucky, but maybe you don't. And then you, you have a stable career. But the key is in building sustainability and whatever that yeah. means for you. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah that's that's what i think you know oh yeah I, you should put learning hurts on a bumper sticker and sell that that's <laughs> important that's really important i mean i've 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 been in a lot of situations where i've been fortunate enough to sort of be in a mentorship uh or you know um i i also have two kids and i've got i'm the oldest of four i've talked to students a lot over the years and i'm, I'm kind of always like and, and i consider myself very much sort of a, a student myself just of, of constantly learning i think everyone should um but I, I really like the way that you sort of phrase that all everything you said very summed up succinctly in the learning hurts because ultimately artists should be focusing on on their work and not on selling their work i mean the selling can come later but if you're purely focused on selling into a very hot market, it does sort of blur the line between what you're caring about. Are you caring about making work that will sell? Or are you caring about making the very best work that you can and then adapting for the realities of a market you can't control or you can't time? Um, but it is tough because I can see, you know, and I, I mean, I've got this experience and I know others artists have. I mean, if you started a project six months ago, uh, you know, or a year ago, let's say, which is not crazy to think a project could take a year to to build. Although we expect artists to just crank work out in this in this uh, you know space at a sort of um, unrealistic pace, sometimes it would be frustrating to uh, come up with 
the framework of a project a year ago, let's say when you know ETH is doing really well and it's at 3000 and you think you're going to do this and you're, okay, I'm going to project will be done in six months. And then the the game is completely changed. Now that's not to say that could, that wouldn't happen in the real world. I mean, imagine if you built right into COVID, you know, anything can intersect. Um, but the amount of changes day to day or waking up and seeing some awful news, you know, about FTX and then that sort of dented the market and some artist has to deal with that fallout, you know? So it's just interesting, I think. And, and, uh, you're right. Like learn, being good about your finances and, and artists learning how to, not rely on a moment in time of of heat uh or you know their current success and knowing things are going to change and being adaptable and flexible and keeping your expectations uh very fluid to me seems like kind of the only way um and you know i don't think uh there are really good examples of artists interacting directly with the market um like historical examples like andy warhol figuring mm -hmm. out how to make portraits of rich people that would pay Absolutely. him or you know maybe he like if you paid him a little bit extra then he would make and then he became a very important artist he's not you know like a like an artist that uh, paints in a park by demand, um, you know, and Jeff Koons, um, who has, you know, been the, you know, sort of like leading this kind of like hyper, like hyper commercial looking art in a mass production kind of way mm -hmm. um, a, with a mass studio that responded directly to as well, you know, particular market moments. Um, artists can be very market savvy. That doesn't mean that all artists have uh, have to be market savvy. Um, you know, that's, that's what makes Andy Warhol and Jeff Koons a, uh, special and highly you know sure. highly valued and uh, uh, but at the same time i think that um you know sort of the sort of the the na naivete perpetuated um especially by people that you know maybe have made their money even you know flipping shit coins in defi yeah. <laughs> uh with regards to artists it's like actually quite insane uh because yeah they you know people were saying focus on your art, you know, like, uh, look at, uh, you know, long form generative art and Tyler Hobbs, not worried about the market and uh, protect your artists. And, you know, like how, how does that work exactly? Mm, yeah. um, um, and who can say uh, if being influenced, yeah, if an artwork being influenced by a market or by an audience is not a good artwork. Um, I think it's about the craft and not about the influence. Absolutely. Yeah. And this actually leads me to a question I had, because you said in a prior interview, um, and I and I fully agree with this, that culture is what prevails in the end. And I think you're talking a lot about um, being mindful of the moment is what I, what kind of like the words that mm. come to mind. You know, you mentioned Warhol and kind of capturing the time and, and sort of uh, seeing a, an art world that was quite stale and doing something that felt novelty and maybe silly and unserious at first until it wasn't and being mindful of like where we're at. Um, obviously, the saturation now, both within NFTs and with Instagram and just the proliferation of the internet makes it sort of more difficult to stand out, of course, you know, there, you know, uh, but I think Ultimately, like you said, uh, culture is what prevails in the end. And, and you kind of acknowledge that the trad art world has done a very good job of preserving culture. I mean, there's could be a lot of holes poked in the traditional art market, but preserving culture and, you know, at least the institutions that are, um, you know, are well-meaning, you know, 
I think have done a very good job of that and continuing to pass down the stories and the legacies of artists, you know, from decades past. But, um, you know, so I guess maybe this is a good segue to talk a little more about JPEG's Mm -hmm. mission. But so how do you see JPEG's role as sort of preserving culture in digital art? Like, do you see that as part of your job and, and sort of maybe as we're talking about artists trying to figure out how to create in a in a space that changes maybe not even daily but hourly and in a, in a, at a breakneck pace um the idea of curation feels like one of slowing down and thinking and taking a moment to stop and smell the roses a little bit and and consider context and display and surroundings so is that ultimately how you see you know jpeg you know success is focusing on that and, and focusing on the, the layer of culture and making sure that those things are talking to one another? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, when, you know, when talking about cultural moments, um, so we launched JPEG in July of 2021 and we launched it with a drop salt that did yep. really, really well. And yeah. then we didn't do drops anymore. Uh, we actually focused on building the canals, which is, you know, the context building machine right, right. of uh, that, that sits at the core of JPEG. Can, can, and I, this, can I just ask yeah. really quick? So you, yeah, yeah. you launched, you launched with salt and yeah. it did great. And it was a very beloved project um, from launch until now it's a very beloved project very beautifully done and 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 recently he had his you know follow-up project I, th- I think but um what did you quickly make a decision to not do another drop right away like why like because it did sort of that was unique for you right like you did that and then sort of pivoted to focus on the the canon so what 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 instigated you to hold off on doing an immediate follow-up after a successful drop um we just thought that uh, building first the exhibitions interface mm-hmm. and it then later building the canals to validate uh, what we had sold to VCs because JPEG is VC funded uh, was a little bit more urgent than mm. okay. uh, creating new drops with artists. Uh, we always, you know, uh, it's always been on the back of our minds uh, to continue with, you know, the more studio side of, uh, of JPEG, uh, which, you know, we're, we're about to launch a drop. Um, that will be launched by the time this uh, podcast goes live. Um, and we are very creative uh, people. Um, I, you know, on the on the side, I collaborated with artists making uh, making artwork as well, both uh, performance pieces with Hito style, and I've also helped. Uh, you know, I, a community in Congo uh, create their first mm. NFT drop, and now they're doing the Venice Biennale. Um, so, uh, you know, I. We we all were very, and you know Trent is also a fantastically creative person. Uh, Sam went on to create you know co-found Finilier as well. Mm-hmm. So um, right. it's not because of lack of uh, create creativity in the in in the team. It's because we are actually um, really really believers on the idea of a uh, curation and the context building machine, and we knew that what we had was something unique. Um, mm. To date, we think it's something very unique because um, I don't think that the other people that are working on similar things are actually building it from a place of building true context. Um, so we just we just really wanted to to build what we wanted to see in NFTs out of like a total place of appreciation for mm-hmm. a, NFTs as cultural objects. Um, so. 
yeah, it was really, it was really, really organic for us. Uh, and we're a small team as well. So uh, resources are scarce and we had them all allocated. Um, mm. And with regards to, you know, like there's context and as you well said as well, there's moment and moment is everything. Um, yeah. mo- momentum can also be everything and very damaging um as you know we discussed in the in the in the in the first part uh, of the podcast uh, and uh, you know in times when you know the uh, the moment said that it was time to do something else uh which we didn't believe in uh we you know we don't care about pfes i uh, we we thought they were gonna win um it's a little bit it feels a little bit good to see them not do so well, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we just decided to to keep building what we were, we feel was true to us. Um, mm, yeah. And we continued along that and uh, capturing moments and preserving moments uh, and preserving context uh, by crowdsourcing as well uh was what felt good for us um the knowledge that the nft space has is quite incredible when you dive deep into it um you know people spend a lot of time in discord they spend a lot of time analyzing artwork um, they also spend a lot of time analyzing sheet coins and that's amazing uh, it's all knowledge and it all helps us but there's not a common place for people to gather and discuss this this knowledge on a more permanent way uh, than on twitter or discords that you know all comments get buried mm-hmm. um so for us this was you know the unique place that we actually wanted to visit every day uh what we what we started building um yeah. It takes, a, you know, it takes a little bit of an abstract form in JPEG canons and in JPEG uh, exhibitions, but it all tells a story. Um, you know, it all t- tells the same story. We believe that NFTs are a culture, a digital network and cultural objects. We believe that they have be had to be treated with the same gravitas as a traditional art. Traditional art needs a cultural infrastructure to survive and to capture the moments, the context, and, you know, different resources around it, including, you know, a provenance building machine. And uh, with regards to provenance, uh, you know, like it's built by many things. It's not only who owns what, it's uh, who wrote about this thing in 1886. who uh, was uh, with the painter at the time that the painter made this and uh, in which movie did it show you know like there's a lot of artwork that has been uh, you know especially literal editions that have been recognized by you know being shown in a, a wall from a show like S- succession um and the, you know the artist then gained some variety so everything is context and context yeah. builds the market mm-hmm. which for me, it was really important to build something to, you know, to be able to to show people that, you know, we recognize NFTs in the same way as a trad art. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really fascinating. And I think providing context to me is an art that the internet and uh, like, I, I, I don't want to say I blame Instagram, but I mean, I guess the way that a lot of artists. I mean, I saw like from when I started uh, my practice in 2004, the importance of a personal website and having a portfolio site to point people to was so important. And I always really valued being able to control the context in which my work was 
presented in. Um, you know, even now where there's more platforms to just sort of plug and play like the square spaces of the world, it's still important that things get modified and, and, you know, crafted in such a way where the work is at least being presented. That doesn't feel like it just came out of a, of a box, you know, um, with NFTs, I think a lot of people have been pretty comfortable just minting wherever and and like losing the idea that context matters or that the association of who they're minting with matters or, uh, and, and I think we've seen a reaction to that, you know, with the, you know, prevalence of like manifold and artists sort of getting a sense of feeling like, oh, this is my own contract or what Zora has done with, um, you know, being like open editions, being able to just lightly customize the look and feel of something. I mean, like that's been important to them. I, I had that experience there and stuff. And I think, you know, as, as sort of curated a platform as JPEG is, I can see that being able to really be intentional about a drop and a release that and an artist that you work with and really be able to craft a narrative and control the context of how the work's presented to the world seems really important and kind of an art in itself that has kind of gotten lost and and distilled down and, and watered down over the years as a result of the way that the internet has just gotten so large I think people are just happier to just whatever's easiest and quickest I'll just post it on my Instagram and then and then that's it people can see my work in that context um so I do think it's really it's really nice to see a response from platforms like yours to make an intentional effort to sort of regain the narrative and give back sort of the context of a of a project. And maybe this is a good time to talk about the pro- and I know like you said this will have already come out by the time this recording comes out but talk a little bit about the new project that as of this recording I think is coming out tomorrow, right? The mint is tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, um, tomorrow. So maybe this is all a great time to talk a little bit more just about the let's start talk about a, a real project and the fun stuff and not market, yeah, you know, speak or anything like that. But yeah, I'd love to hear how this project came about. Tell me the the artist and the name of the project and then um yeah, like what the what what it's all about because it's it's a really fascinating one. Sure. So the project's name is Social Contracts and uh, it was co-created by artist uh, Borat Arikan and JPEG. Um, and basically, it's about minting your own social graph uh, and about proving the thesis that you don't need a so- social media to create a social graph. We extract it from uh, your wallet history and the relationships between collectors. And it's also about a provenance as a medium in a way. Um, so it's a it's a multi-layer pro, uh, project. Um, uh, the artist uh, Burak Arikan, he's from Turkey. I met him uh, in 2019 uh, because he was doing a lot of work related to um, you know traceability, and uh, he works always with this constellation of. Uh, uh, he creates these constellations in graphs uh, and then communicates a particular message. One of his artworks is called Artists and Collectors. And basically, mm-hmm. he used the questionnaire to ask artists uh, who were they collected by and uh, other details. And uh, he used his graph to predict who would collect them next mm. as well, based on what uh, what collectors were also telling him. And uh, this time he, and of course, you know, that practice has broadened. Um, so I met him when, you know, he was already well into his uh, his practice. He was already showing at, uh, you know, institutions and biennales, uh, but we curated him 
into a little show we did for East Berlin 2019. And we curated him in the, uh, for the topic of traceability of expensive, of expenses for a project of his that uh, is called my, uh, my pocket that predicts what he will buy next. Mm. Um, with the same kind of like algorithms um, and the same kind of uh, graph analysis. Um, we stayed in touch and then Burak uh, made this incredible graph uh, for Kutsu. Kutsu is uh, an NFT virus uh, that transmits itself. It passes from wallet to wallet, but it never leaves the host's wallet. So it just mm. spreads. It just infects, um, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, if you don't have it, you should mint it. It's free mint, uh, and or you can you can get it from anyone really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on Folia, uh, who is a publishing platform that does you know some of the best um, yeah. projects in the space. Um, and they did uh, Kutsu as one of their very first projects. Um, I, they also did a, did a custom contract by Billy Ranekamp, who is an artist uh, that uh, became later a developer. And he does Cosmos uh, de- uh, development. And uh, Burak has all, uh, always been friends with the Folia guys. So he developed this graph for, uh, for, uh, to track the Kutsu infection, uh, which was uh, really amazing. Uh, we've stayed in touch with Burak. Uh, so when he had, you know, an idea of a project, uh, he came up to us, uh, we started talking, we started adjusting a little bit, um, you know, the initial concept of the project, which was just a uh, minting provenance into um, what is now social contracts, which is, you know, minting a social graph and predicting uh, five NFTs that you might own based on the collections of the people that you're connected with through uh, contracts in common. And uh, yeah, it took us about like, I don't know, maybe six months to uh, to finalize everything and to get it ready for drop. So mm. uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, this is a. Um, and I it's an open edition, right? It's open edition, but time five days. Um, mm-hmm. I really wanted to open it forever, uh, but. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the way that it works on the back end, I actually, uh, we need to refresh servers um, to create okay. these huge graphs. Um, so we can only do it at, at scale <laughs> for five days. Sure, sure. And yeah. because the most interesting thing is that, of course, like your wallet, uh, it never stops changing. So the NFTs will never stop changing. So the servers will always have to, you know, constantly refresh these graphs. Um so the only way we can do it at scale is if we if we tap uh, and if we just limit the mean to five days. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know the the graph do get smarter as more people mint as well uh, because you know uh, of course that adds into into yeah. the wallets. So we really want as much people as possible to mint it, and most importantly, it's also an intelligence tool. It's not only an artwork. Um, you can uh, so. It's a, uh, it's in WebGL format. You can explore your WebGL graph uh, from your OpenSea thumbnail, from the website, and from the platform uh, that Burak has uh, as a business uh, as well, because he has a, mm-hmm. the, uh, he has a platform where you can create your own custom graphs. Um, so you can explore it from many ways and explore, you know, for example, if you're an artist, it's incredibly useful to know, uh, you know, who are your collectors close to. So that you can right, yeah. uh, adjust um, 
your strategy or start talking to more people. Um, I don't know, uh, for, uh, yeah, for it, you know, wallet watchers, it's really interesting to know, uh, you know, what, what people are minting for any, any particular reason. And uh, of course, it's just fascinating to see, to discover how many people in common, uh, how many things in common you have with people that you would never mm. even think that you have things right, in yeah, common yeah. with. So it's, it's a whole journey. <laughs> did, did so this is a project that is very much tied to um economics and people's buying habits and sort of reflects on taste and communities and everything like that did the project intention in the very beginning change from like where you, like so you've been working on it for about 6 months you said so yes did the initial vision for the project change at all from when you first you know, when they, when you guys first started building it up until now, like was the original vision to do an open edition or was it going to be capped at a certain spot? Um, has the, did the market impact, you know, the way that you thought about how to frame the project or how the graph should exist or work, or was it a pretty, hmm. like a pretty established vision that was really followed through pretty closely to the original idea all the way to the end? This is kind of an interesting full circle question because this sort of, artwork seems to encompass a lot of the conversation we've had up to this point um, about markets and you know a, a bull market or a bear market where everything how hot things are obviously that can infect and uh, impact the the data and then the graph and the, and the artwork itself so how sort of true to the original vision has it stayed throughout the course of building this um, when it's not a purely visual project but a sort of data driven one so it changed quite a lot. It didn't mm. change because of market uh, fluctuations or uh, or any kind of uh, trends. It just changed because uh, the project was uh, done in dialogue. Burak came to us uh, with an established idea and a prototype that was working really well about you know minting a mini social graph. Uh, mm -hmm. But then we thought there, uh, you know, we thought he could push it much further. Um, you know. This is a guy that I've been that I've worked with before. Um, I, you know, I love the way that he thinks. Um, so, you know, establishing a dialogue and making him feel comfortable to, you know, push the project a little bit har uh, harder to develop, mm -hmm. like a, you know, like a more like solid concept uh, was was, you know, sort of top of the agenda. And uh, with regards to, you know, when it came to the drop mechanism. Um, we, you know, at first we were a little bit skeptical of uh, doing a, some sort of like reduced supply um, just because uh, we didn't think uh, that uh, it would work, um, that it would make the graph. Uh, obviously, it doesn't make the graph smarter, um, mm -hmm. so it doesn't really help. Um, and we also didn't think... Um, that uh, you know, doing a very very large edition, um, but limited, uh, was the right choice. Just because, um, unfortunately, you know, uh, minting out or not minting out continues to be um, a metric of success yeah, for some right, people, right. and we just were we, we just don't do that. Uh, yeah. We we really fundamentally disagree with that notion. We think a successful project is uh, conceptually rich. And we think a successful project is a project that uh, will be spoken about 
in many years to come and will mm. be shown at conferences and will be displayed in museums, uh, whether it's from coming from a recognized artist or not, uh, or an anon person. Um, we think that's that's what makes a project a success. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I wish more people had that. Narrative. I wish more. I wish more people. <laughs> I really do. I, I I find it so disheartening, and I think it's been a very unfortunate conditioning uh, of of a lot of artists and creators throughout the last, you know, let's call it three, two, three years here. That if their project doesn't sell out, it's a it's somehow a failure. And, and I mean, regardless of how you or I or any listener feels about like a PFP project, like someone did care about that and put a lot of time in, into it. Um, even that, like, if it didn't sell out, you know, people seeing something as as a failure just because every last one didn't sell, I think is only something that we have been conditioned to because there was a period of time in the market where it just seemed like every project was doing that. Um, And no no one wants to sort of come to the reality that perhaps selling 200 of something like is is amazing. That's fantastic. If you can sell to 200 people, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to sell one of something, let alone sell 200 of something. And it's hard to galvanize a community big or small, and not everything is going to be a 10,000 PFP level project. And and I, I just, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I think it's not something that enough, I think, project founders and, and artists have, have reconciled with quite yet. Yeah. I think there's like the, the repercussions of the notion of selling out is not one that there's much of an analog to in the real world. Like how many artists sell out a show? I mean, Sure, like top tier artists, and and but like it's really difficult, and it can take years to sell a piece. And when you do, people really tend to value that artwork. And and I recently bought a work from a from a gallery of an artist who I've loved for a long time, and that piece had been sitting in the gallery for I don't know a couple of years, and I just felt like the transaction felt really special in a way, like both for me as the collector of the of the work and for the gallerist and the artist, it felt meaningful. Whereas and like, there's still pieces from that show available, but it now resides in my home. My kids will grow up seeing it. It really is special. And the commodification and sort of like warehouse of like Amazonification of like being able to just buy stuff and junk, frankly, you know, is is unfortunate. So the slowing down of uh, with your mission is something that I, I hope is one of the ripple effects of the market kind of going into the tank uh, that I hope people sort of screw their heads on straight and see that there are other ways uh, for a project to be regarded as successful. So kudos to you for having that be the mission because it's not something that enough people I think uh, are, are thinking about, you know, they're just looking at sales. Totally. And uh, for this particular project, we are we are even not going into, you know, like the appreciation and contemplation. You can con- uh, you can contemplate and appreciate uh, after you mint it because we're going, you know, it looks uh, since the art is uh, both uh, an intelligence tool and uh, sort of like a software and uh, an artwork as well. Um, we're going for a price. It's 0.05 mm-hmm. um, open edition. So you could see it as, you know, when we use and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to reveal my age here, but you can see it as sort of, you know, when uh, Windows 95 uh, was out and there would be, you know, like this uh, supply. But, you know, at some point, Windows 95 uh, would sell out because, you know, mm-hmm. it was at a reasonable price. Um, it was sort of like, 
useful for everyone. Everyone wanted it. So, you know, doing a software sort of distribution model for this artwork. Um, and, you know, it was time as well because, you know, there was some obsolescence to the, to the, to the software as well. Right. So do, doing this kind of like low price um, and uh, not unlimited because, you know, we, we have our constraints made a lot of sense because we really want people to treat this as a tool um, mm. as well as an artwork. Mm. I think the timed limited edition is great. I've always really enjoyed doing that myself, um, whether it's for prints that I've done or I, I, it's it's nice because there will be an end to it. It does create some urgency, um, but less to reach a certain number goal and more to meet. Just give people a chance to buy if they want, knowing the clock is ticking a little bit. But yeah, five days. It's also, I think, it feels nice as well. And I don't know how much you guys think about this, but it's difficult to break through noise on social media, and we're all kind of reliant on these platforms, Twitter especially. I kind of feel sometimes like, I mean, some of the biggest name artists in NFTs. I mean, truly, the some of the very, very biggest names in NFTs. Um, have very few followers and don't do very well on Instagram. It's like, it's a totally separate conversation happening over there. I'll see them post their work and like the amount of interaction is just microscopic compared to the sort of reaction it gets on Twitter. Um, And I, not that comparing those two matters, but it just sort of shows the importance of Twitter and the fact that we're up against a, a, it feels like we're working against the person who's in charge at Twitter all the time, sort of re- <laughs> yeah. rewiring the algorithms and making paying for it, you know, become a priority. And, and, and you don't really, it's kind of unfortunate in that way, but it I do feel like a, an open edition gives you the luxury of being able to generate conversation uh, and hoping that at least the important stuff will at some point over the course of five days, reach the people who you intend it to reach. Um, I know I've had, people tell me they missed something entirely and it's like, Oh, I posted it yesterday. I, I didn't see it, you know? And so yeah. you need that, that time to let things kind of percolate and, and live a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it feels, it feels really appropriate for the project. So would you say that JPEG's interest is in these sort of projects and like moving forward, do you, do you feel like JPEG would focus on doing projects that have this kind of like social dynamic to them? Or is there space in JPEG for another project that like a project that's like purely visual? Um, Not that there wouldn't be some really great concept behind it, but this one is so different and kind of dynamic in in its execution. What do you see as like a follow-up to this? Something similar or entirely different? We're doing something... uh similar in terms of like you know there's a social interaction involved uh but very different in in terms of you know there's like a more meme element to it um and uh, honestly um while you know our interests are uh, very marked uh, with regards to shaping the platform and uh, shaping you know who we choose to support uh, especially you know because we would like to support more people at more scale but you know our resources are scarce, you know, we're mm, on our yeah. second year of runway. So, uh, you know, we, we still don't have the capacity. Um, sure. And we really, you know, we're really true to our mission as well. Um, so we want to develop compelling things. Uh, we want to develop them in dialogue with the artists. So uh, there's a lot of feedback um, back and forth. And, uh, you know, the, that feedback obviously takes months. Uh, we've been working as well with the, with the artist that comes uh, after Borak, uh, for at least four months now. Mm. Um, since, Can you talk uh, about that one started. at all or? 
You don't have to. Um, not, yet. <laughs> okay. not yet. Not uh, yet. It's a. It's uh, you know the the artist just got Twitter. Um, uh, and she's big into ASMR. Uh, so it's gonna mm. be something uh, completely out of left field, but it feels very I native to the space because uh, she's also really solid, badass developer. Uh, so uh, that's that's all I can I can say for now. Uh, especially mm. because we're you know like we're still developing the co the concept a little bit. Um, sure. And honestly, I really hope that the that the third drop will be more focused on, uh, you know, maybe the beauty um, mm. uh, of the piece. Uh, you know, the, there can be, you know, a certain like element of programmability that we can uh, that we will include to maybe feel good about ourselves uh, and keep the brand. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I really, I really hope we can expand. It's a little bit because uh, as well, um, and sorry if this is, you know, like uh, just, uh, yeah, I realized this is uh, going longer than expected. But, you know, no, you're fine. one of the things about JPEG is that we build context for everyone. Uh, we don't build context only for generative art or we don't build concept only for a... Um, PFPs, not even for conceptual art, context, mm -hmm. sorry. Uh, we built context for NFTs, period. Um, so I hope that uh, the drops will be able to also capture that kind of agnosticism in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have to ask you about uh, one of the first drops you did. I'm trying to find the name of it, but it was, I think it was the very first one you did, Deep uh time deep was time it? deep time yeah. and that was sort of there was a lot of ai generated work that was, was that two years ago or how long ago was that now two years ago and okay. it was an exhibition not a drop but it had a right, right. most of the artworks were for sale yeah okay um i'm just curious to ask as someone who obviously was behind a ai project two years ago the 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 rate at which AI has come along, and not to turn this into a whole AI conversation, but I think it's interesting. I'm really fascinated at how good it's getting at the pace it's getting good. It's it's I find that to be yes. I don't want to say scary. I'm not trying. Oh, it's it's dystopian and blah blah. blah. I don't. I, I, that's not. I don't really think that in those terms. I do think that there's something about slowing it down. It's. I think it is going to fundamentally change the way that people um, perceive images and visuals uh in, in life and in the news and on the internet and everything but the fact that it's gotten as good as it has just in the last year and then you look at even just six months and then like mid-journey going you know from like v4 to v5 i mean the jumps seem like these quantum leaps that are happening so rapidly that i can only imagine how good it's going to be and how sort of integrated it's going to be into our daily lives in just the, a matter of years i mean the software behind these things is going to become even more accessible to more people. And I think as far as art is concerned, I think it's uh, already fascinating to see artists who just are saying, I'm an AI artist and they're making work that just looks like paintings, but they have no prior art background. How do you feel about that? What's your sort of take uh, on, on the sort of proliferation of it um, and the sort of manufactured, you know, um, the, the type of work that can come so quickly and so easily, even if you have a clever prompt uh you know what what do you think it's uh, yeah i'm just curious to hear your thoughts on it again especially in the context of the compressed timeline that it's you know rapidly um evolved 
There's a really cool discussion about it uh, currently happening at the JPEG Discord. Uh, it probably got, is going to continue being live by the time uh, you guys drop this uh, podcast because, you know, those discussions last forever. And yeah, it's led yeah. by just Eileen. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's led by Eileen, yep. who just like recently uh, went uh, to TED yeah, to so give a talk, a talk about, about AIR. Yeah, and it's really interesting. And, you know, to your question, I would say that, you know, like, yeah, sure, there's evolution. You know, I use GPT-4 on my daily life, and it has, like, even improved the way I deal with things in Germany um, mm. to a degree that I never thought it was possible. But does that, that make AI a good artist? Uh, is, the, you know, are the artworks, are, are the out outputs actually good art? Um, I don't think so. I think there's an undeniable, you know, like, the the evolution of image generation is one thing and uh, making good art is a completely different thing. Um, and the same way as I don't think that AI will get us all out of a job, it will further specialize us and makes mm. uh, make us, you know, resilient and, you know, flexible, as I said before with, uh, with the crisis. In, in the same kind of like shakedown will come to artists that are dealing with AI. Um, I myself uh, miss the times where AI was wonky and funny yeah, and yeah. Uh, it created crazy outputs. Uh, and I do think that artists, uh, you know, just working on perfecting prompts uh, to a degree where the image looks, you know, like part of a dream or something like that are substanceless. I don't like them. Um, I you know, I don't find them special. I don't like mm. the Rafik Anadol thing in the MoMA. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's boring and it's not good art, but that's mm. my personal opinion of it, of course. Um, I do think that, you know, art has to have like a degree of a, a concept be behind it. Otherwise, it's just like images um, and, you know, images are everywhere. Um, and mm, yeah. yeah, it's the same as, you know, like art and design. They're very close. Um, and sometimes uh, they can cross over and most times they cross over and uh, good designers uh, are good artists and uh, the same the, the other way around as well. But uh, but none of that makes, uh, you know, the particular uh, artwork good art yeah. or, you know, you're not going to call a design art if you're trying to sell a design. Um, so it's it's all about how we construct narratives and we talk about uh, the artworks uh, that's that's gonna you know also specialize and change and make us uh, find new frameworks for criticism. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you by the way that the wonkiness of like for example, some of even now I mean you know John Rathman's experiments are some of my favorite, but I think it's because the absurdity that's been embraced, or even going back to things that still look like they were maybe mid journey v one. I said I I get fed all the in Twitter and now you have the following and then the for you tab and in for you I always get these people I don't follow but these long threads about AI and all this stuff and someone is comparing mid journey v one to v five and it is stunning. I mean just how far it's <laughs> come where you can sort of mimic a a perfect, very sort of uh, sterile photo of a person with a particular depth of field and compared to the exact same prompt a year ago with the first version of it. And it just was this bizarre, distorted sort of monster. Um, and there was something really special about that. And I think that that's going to yeah. sort of actually somehow or another maintain its... Uh, I already have nostalgia for it in a way. Like there's a, yeah. there's a very particular aesthetic to that that I think might actually... Um, hold up uh, while we just create 
endless amounts of <laughs> meaningless yeah. experimental images uh, from. If the- you wanna, if you wanna take the uh, mid journey comparison, uh, like even uh, to more obscure places, dot um, concerns was actually created with the previous uh, from you know f- with the same creators of mid journey, but with mm-hmm. a previous iteration. Um, that wasn't me journey and yeah. uh, that and that was created um two years and some uh, and some months ago so that's that how old? good wow. it's yeah. yeah and that's how good it's gotten in me journey like it's it's absolutely insane yeah. uh, <laughs> it really I, is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but but yeah. it's still not good enough at logos huh Mm. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. logos <laughs> you said and like text and things like that. Yeah, I mean, but that's like the next, you know, as they've continued refining fingers. And I mean, I know like all these things are just going to get worked on. And I'm, I'm, I'm both fascinated and excited and and fearful for uh, what my children are going to grow up, you know, having to discern whether something's real or not. I think that is a little bit. Yeah frightening um for sure i mean i already i think it's had this weird effect where i'll look at a photo and be like is that real and it's like well yeah it's real your brain is just starting to become cynical (laughs) about everything and uh that certainly seems like a dark by the um, time you publish this post actually mid journey uh, this podcast actually mid journey will be really good at logos probably i'm sure it will yeah (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well um we're at about an hour and i want to make sure to you know be mindful of your time and you probably got the dinner coming up uh, if i'm doing (laughs) my if i'm doing my time math right here but um yeah i just want to leave the the floor to you at the end here if there's anything else you want to touch on or talk about but really um appreciate um your time and and this conversation i i treat these like a really selfishly i treat these like just a really cool opportunity for me to get to know the person who i'm talking to but we also happen to be recording it so um but uh yeah i just your perspective is is invaluable and I, i i love your mission and your optimism and and your perspective on everything i think it's I just think it's very refreshing to hear. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed um, just listening to you talk about what you're doing. Thank you so much. And I think, you know, I don't have anything else to add. I think we got really deep. Um, I also love to learn about your perspective and your practice. And I thought it was really interesting when you said, um, you know, how important it is to, uh, to control your presentation, um, uh, no matter how good the tools get. Because I think, actually, I, I do think that designers and because of the level of control that they, 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 they've always required over, a, over their presentation, totally get Web3, you know, which is, you know, fundamentally about, you know, the control of the, the tool set that you're using yeah. and that the things that you're sending out to the world. So super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Um, this has been great. Thank you. And I uh, really appreciate um, the conversation. And uh, welcome back, Yuri. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to Yuri. Instead of just is you know produces a show, and I know the whole time he's listening. So I'm always like, I got an audience of one while I have these conversations. <laughs> uh, you know, put the pressure on. But yeah, this one was really great. Um, I really love getting into. So uh, yeah, thank you so much um, for for the time. Yeah. This was awesome. Yeah. Uh, my, my pleasure. It was, I really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, well, appreciate uh, your, your time and hope you have a good night and we'll, uh, thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me guys. It was Our really pleasure. an awesome conversation. Thank you. Maria. Have a great e- e- day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you too.